Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Tortured artist is a term we have all heard, and musicians are a breed of their own. Drugs, sex, and rock and rollers at will. Disgraced Land Podcast is a playground with endless examples if that is your true crime poison. But there are certain mysteries in music that haunt the background of songs or silence between the tracks. When it comes to musicians, a bright spotlight can often cast the darkest of shadows, allowing those involved with the greatest ability to hide, escape and sometimes disappear forever. Musicians who have vanished never to be seen again this week are mysteriously listed. Number four, Connie Converse. Elizabeth Eaton Converse was born August 3, 1924 in Laconia, New Hampshire, to a strict religious family. Shy and intelligent growing up, writing deep and thought-provoking poetry that has been described as mature beyond her tender years. Elizabeth received a full scholarship to college where her life would change forever. Elizabeth hated her name, so she changed it to Connie. She began smoking and drinking, and most importantly, she discovered music. Connie would drop out of college at the start of her second year to pursue a career as a singer-songwriter. Connie's parents all but cut her out of their lives because of this decision, her father famously dying without ever hearing his daughter's music. Despite not having her parents' support, Connie carried forward with her new purpose in life, a decision that any music fan would be grateful for. But even those with the most promise and talent It doesn't always result in stadium tours and platinum records, and Connie may just be a victim of being born in the wrong era. She was simply before the time where female singer-songwriters were embraced and celebrated. After 10 years of trying to unsuccessfully secure a record contract, a new artist, a no-one, by the name of Bob Dylan, swept in and the music world went into a frenzy. That was the final nail in the music coffin for Connie. She gave up. She moved back to her family in Michigan. She stopped writing music. She abandoned her music career for a university job back in Michigan, where she reportedly fell into depression and she drank heavily. In August 1974, only days after her 50th birthday, Connie wrote a series of letters to those close to her, saying, quote, Let me go. Let me be if I can. Let me not if I can't. Human society fascinates me and awes me and fills me with grief and joy. I just can't find my place to plug it into. Alluding to a search for a new meaning in life, she left her home in Michigan and she was never heard from again. There are many theories out there for what happened to Connie. Before Connie disappeared, she made a mysterious request to her brother Phil, asking him to continue paying her life insurance as she was no longer able to and then a friend of hers claimed to receive a phone call from Connie in 1975 or 1976, apologising for past mistakes. This would be the last reported contact with Connie Converse. But even after a private investigator picked up the case, we have no idea what happened to Connie and when and why, even now, inching towards 50 years later.
Her brother Phil would later state in contemporary news articles that he believes his sister suicided, that she drove her car into a body of water, that these letters she sent was a goodbye to her loved ones. In her absence, her music has seen a revival, which is how I discovered Connie Converse. Music historian David Garland bought her music, and finally Connie's dreams were realised. Her back catalogue would be released for the world to hear. How Sad, How Lovely was first released in 2009 as 17 songs, and then re-released again in 2015 with 18 songs. And within that six-year period, we also got an album of Connie's piano songs and a new single, introducing her haunting music to more generations of music fans. Number three, Jim Sullivan. Jim Sullivan had a rough upbringing. His family struggled financially and they lived in government housing. Jim found music as a way to escape, in particular blues music. As an adult, he joined a rock band, The Survivors, playing the guitar. After a failed business venture, 28-year-old Jim moved to Los Angeles to pursue music full-time. He never wanted a normal 9-to-5 job. He wanted to make his mark on the world. He would busk and crowdsource to make the money needed to hire studio time to make his music, eventually releasing his debut album through an indie label. 1969 would mark the release of this album, UFO, and it is really good. But Jim was a perfectionist and it was never going to meet his high standards. He was embarrassed and didn't feel like it was going to help him meet his goals and expand his audience. But the album did reach someone, Hugh Hefner, who had just expended his Playboy empire to a record label and he signed Jim to a record deal. Jim immediately went to work on a self-titled album, but unfortunately Hugh Hefner's marketing team weren't equipped to market music and they didn't know what to do with Jim, so in Jim's eyes this was just another failure. As a way to cope with his career not going the way he envisioned and with the guilt of seeing his wife work so hard to support his dream and their two children, Jim began to drink heavily. And then Jim decided to make one last go at this music thing. He decided to move to Nashville by himself. And once his music was finally a success, he would move his family out with him and they would all live the life he had dreamt of since he was a little boy. March 4th, 1974. Jim Sullivan left his home in Los Angeles to drive his car to Nashville. The next day, he called his wife to tell her he was fine, but when she questioned him more, he became cryptic and said, quote, You wouldn't believe if I told you. Unquote. She then asked him what he meant by that, and he said, quote, Forget it. Just forget I said anything. I'll call you from Nashville. Unquote. Following that phone call, Jim was stopped by the highway patrol because they thought he was drunk. But after passing a sobriety test, they sent him on his way with a warning. He then checked himself into a hotel in Santa Rosa, New Mexico. Days passed with no contact from Jim, so his wife and family contacted the police for a welfare check. But when police went to his hotel room, the bed hadn't been slept in. The hotel key was in the room, along with a bottle of vodka. A few days later, the police located his car on a remote ranch over 20 miles away from the hotel. Inside the car, they found his money, ID, his guitar, some clothes, and a box of unsold records. His friends knew something wasn't right because his guitar was his most prized possession and he would never leave it behind. Jim was reportedly last seen walking away from his car 
and that would be the last time anyone would ever see him. Theories, conspiracy theories, have been many, and these include Jim being killed by bandits or the police. One gas station attendant claimed Jim was asking for directions back to California. Friends have said that Jim was not depressed and he was not the type to suicide. However, I don't think that could ever be accurate. We never know what is going on inside someone's mind, and those who keep things internal, they are generally those who are suffering the most. The craziest theory out there is that Jim was abducted by aliens, and the main driving factor for this theory is Jim's first album, UFO. Both Jim and his wife believed in UFOs and aliens, and the location where he went missing was somewhat close to Roswell, New Mexico, a place where it is widely believed there was a UFO crash and the government covered it up. On top of that, many of Jim's lyrics seemed like clues or premonitions about his future. Although the most likely theory is that Jim was drunk and distraught and depressed, his music career was failing and he felt like he was letting his wife and his family down, and this led him to wander away and possibly take his own life. What makes this story even more tragic is that in 2010, Jim's album UFO was re-released. It would be hugely successful and today has millions of plays on Spotify. But unfortunately, Jim isn't around to see his dreams coming to fruition. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Number two, Licorice McKinney. Christina Licorice McKinney was dating a musician, Robin Williamson, who was the frontman of a British psychedelic folk band, The Incredible String Band, a band she would eventually join. According to Licorice's ex-husband, this band was also a Scientology band. And what he means by this is, Scientology used this band to recruit new members to their religion. Licorice joined The Incredible String Band in 1968, they performed at Woodstock in 1969 and they were very successful. Paul McCartney mentions them as influencing his music with the Beatles. Licorice would leave the band in 1972 after her relationship with Robin Williamson ended. After this, she performed at Scientology events and had short stints with other bands, but nothing ever stuck. By the late 1970s, she married a man named Brian Lambert and then stopped recording music. The couple were nomads and moved all ar- the couple were nomads and moved all over the world. In 1987, she was supposedly last seen hitchhiking in the Arizona desert. However, Licorice's sister would say that she had communication with her in 1990 when Licorice was living in Sacramento, California, recovering from surgery. But there has never really been any solid evidence when and where Licorice was last seen and where she is today. However, in a recent interview with Ron Miscavige, the estranged father of Scientology leader David Miscavige, Ron claims Licorice's ex-husband Brian Lambert disclosed a lot of information about her and what may have happened to her. Apparently, as a member of the Scientology church, Licorice made it to an OT level 3. 
Now, I don't know for sure what that even means, and I really don't want to mess it up and anger Scientologists. I don't want to go missing myself. But according to Ron, information that Licorice was apparently given and she was brainwashed into believing it made her go crazy. Either that or she was drugged. But because of what happened to her as an OT Level 3, she decided to live in his backyard, and then she lived on the streets with the homeless community. A vague, unverified claim on Facebook in August 2019 by someone who alleges they are licorice. She says she's happy and healthy and living in California. That she's amazed that people are still talking about her and her music. But no one really knows if this is actually licorice, someone from the Scientology church, or just a troll pretending to be her. When all is said and done, no one really knows what happened to Licorice, not for sure anyway, and no official missing persons reports were ever filed. There are several possibilities here. That she is dead, succumbed to the elements in the Arizona desert, or by means of foul play. The fact that her royalty checks remain unclaimed supports this view. That she returned to the United Kingdom to live in obscurity. This is unlikely, as her sister has reported not hearing from Licorice since 1990. Or she simply doesn't care about her past and doesn't want to be known. It would be fairly easy for her to hide in plain sight. She wasn't that famous and could be going under an alias. I hope that is the case anyway. Number 1. Richie Edwards Richie Edwards was a guitarist and songwriter for the amazing band Manic Street Preachers, I'm going to try and not gush how influential and incredible of a songwriter Richie was and how amazing Manic Street Preachers were, but I guess in saying that I've failed miserably in my mission there. But this band was the it band of the 1980s into the mid-1990s. Richie disappeared on February 11th, 1995, and I would say his disappearance would be one of the most well-known in the music world. Google his name, and there's a number of podcasts and YouTube channels that have covered his disappearance. There is a lot of speculation, mainly because of the popularity of the band and the mental state of Richie in the months and years leading up to him going missing. Interesting fact, despite the band forming in the mid-1980s, Richie Edwards would not join until 1989, and this is when the band really took off. Even though Richie was the band's guitarist, he's most known for his prolific songwriting. Richie was also known for his passion for music. During one interview when the journalists questioned their commitment to music, Richie carved For Real into his arm. For this, he'd be very briefly institutionalised. Richie was very open with the state of his mental health. He admitted to self-harm as well as his battle with depression and alcoholism. He was very open with sharing he suffered from insomnia and anorexia and OCD. He said the more famous Manic Street Preachers became, the more miserable he got. Quote, All the people you grow up with die. You know your parents die. Grandparents die. Your dog dies. Your energy diminishes. There are less books to read. There's only a number of groups to discover. You just end up a barren wasteland, just trying to find something new which never really occurs. Unquote. Early 1995, band members were reportedly due to fly to America for a promotional tour for their latest album, The Holy Bible, an album that has been considered their greatest album that would be mostly written by Richie. The lyrics are dark, which is understandable because at this point Richie was struggling with his mental health. He was in and out of hospital. 
In an interview only a couple of months earlier, Richard was quoted as saying, In terms of the S word, that does not enter my mind, and it never really has, in terms of an attempt, because I'm stronger than that. I might be a weak person, but I can take the pain. Unquote. And many friends agreed that Richie did not seem the type to unalive himself. Two weeks prior to going missing, Richie shaved his head and began drawing £200 a day from his bank account, totalling almost £3,000 on the day he disappeared. On January 23, 1995, Richie would take part in what would be his last interview, in which he said, quote, People try saying they're strong, but that's not true. Everyone is weak. Unquote. And that is particularly concerning, considering he'd previously said he was too strong to end his life. The night before he went missing, Richie gave a book titled Novel with Cocaine to one of his friends and told her to read the introduction. This is from the author, who was staying in a mental asylum. At some point around this time, he also put some books and videos in a box and wrote, quote, I love you all, unquote. And this was meant for his current girlfriend. February 1st, 1995. Richie was last seen leaving London's Embassy Hotel at 7am. He reportedly drove past the airport all the way to his residence in Cardiff. It was there that he left his passport and credit cards and he was never heard from again. Two weeks into his disappearance, his car was found abandoned at a service station near the Severin Bridge. The car battery was dead and it looked like someone had been living in the car for some time. Now, there is an unfortunate tradition of people leaving their car at this service station and then walking the mile to the Severin Bridge to jump off and suicide. So it isn't beyond the realm of possibility that this is what Richie did too. But there are people who also speculate that Richie staged his death and now lives somewhere outside the public gaze. There have been rumours people saw him at a passport office after his disappearance, so maybe he got another passport under another identity. This would also explain why he withdrew so much money out of his bank account in the weeks prior to his disappearance. There has also been unconfirmed sightings of Ritchie in India, the Spanish Islands and other countries. In a book released in 2019, Withdrawn Place, the book explores the idea that he fled to Israel after meeting a woman during one of his hospital stints, that they fell in love and started new lives in Israel. Richie loved books and reading, and he was allegedly fascinated with authors and writers who lived off the grid. Richie's sister, Rachel, also supports the faked his own death theory. The alternate theory is that Richie drove to the Severin Bridge that day to do what many had done before him. He unalived himself. In 2008, Richie's family had him legally declared deceased. And considering it has now been 28 years since anyone has heard from Richie Edwards, this does seem the likely outcome here. Do you have something you would like to see mysteriously listed? Do you have a particular theme that interests you? Message us on Facebook at Mysteriously Listed and on Twitter at Mysterious List. If you like what you've heard today, we would love for you to share this episode on your social media of choice. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, we would appreciate it if you could leave a positive review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Research, additional writing and hosting is by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.